That's just how it was. You don't have a doctor, and the closest you have to a nurse is probably your mom. Peace and stability. Wars, battles, hostilities are normal. That's just what happens. There's a lot of violence going all the time. And if they don't die on the battlefield, they come home from war and they probably die in their house because of the infections from battle and war. Freedom. No matter your skin color, your race, there's a good chance that if you lived in the first century, you were born a slave and you will spend your entire life in slavery. You're not allowed to vote because there is no voting. There's no democracy. It's whatever the king says. It's whatever the person in charge says. You are at the mercy of whoever there is in power around you. And you will pay taxes. And there's no argument about it. Ladies, if you were a, a woman in the first century, number one, make lots of babies. As many as you can, because you will not live into adulthood. So that's your job if you're a lady in the first century. And then when you've got a couple, take care of them. And your third role is to take care of your husband to please men. That was the role of women in the first century. Education. You will never go to school. Which also means you'll spend your entire life illiterate. You'll never be able to read the writings on a coin. You'll never write a letter or read a letter. Certainly you won't read a book because you don't know how to read. And you most certainly will not write or read a text message. And why would you need to learn to read? You're going to spend most of your life working with your hands, subsistence farming and taking care of animals. So there's really no need to read. Aren't you glad you live in the 21st century? Isn't it interesting how we take for granted all those things in our lives? And I thought it was important to paint a picture for you of what it's like, what it was like in the first century. Jesus was a blue-collar worker. That's what he did. He worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. He, he worked in a wood shop for about 30 years. This is what he did. The first 30 years of his life, he worked with his hands, and uh, he probably Very simple life, sunrise to sunset, working with your hands. And then one day, one day, Jesus put down his hammer or his mallet or whatever it was, his chisel, and he walked into a temple. He picked up a scroll. He read from Isaiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he began to preach a sermon or explain to the people in the synagogue on that day that things were changing, that the world had changed with his very presence. He said, God doesn't just love the Jewish people. God loves all people, and God wants a relationship with all people. Well, that 
well in the religious establishment in the synagogue on that day. And what the Bible tells us is on that day, they got really angry with him. They, they basically drove him out of the church, out of the synagogue, out of the community. And it said they were getting ready to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. And I got to tell you, if I preach my first sermon and had that kind of reaction, I think I would have quit. That would have hurt my feelings. They don't like my preaching. But not Jesus. This actually was the beginning of his new vocation of being a teacher, of being a rabbi. And this is how people viewed Jesus in his early days and throughout his ministry as an educator, as a teacher. And everywhere he went, he was a visiting scholar, teaching and explaining things to people. The word rabbi shows up 11 times in the Gospel of Matthew. And what does a rabbi do? Well, they teach scriptures. Jesus did day in and day out. So Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was an educator. He was like any other rabbis, but he was different than all the other rabbis. He said very strange things that the other rabbis didn't say. His teachings were fresh. They were new. It was not just a, a regurgitation of the Old Testament that we know of today. But he would say things like, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. He spoke with incredible authority. A normal rabbi, when they were teaching, they would read a passage of scripture and then they would say, and this is what Rabbi Johnson says about the text. And this is what Rabbi Larson says about the text. And this is what Rabbi Pitzer says about the text. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus would read the text and he would say, this is what I say about the text. And he spoke with such incredible authority about God's word. He cited himself over and over. And his teachings were brilliant and they were insightful and engaging. He was a master teacher and with such authority and sometimes the, even the really smart other rabbis would try and challenge him, engage him, and say, oh, that's wrong. And he always put them in their place, but he did it in such a way that it was just like, whoa, what did he just say? We need a couple days to process all that he was saying. After he preached his most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples came up to, they, they, the, 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 Matthew records this. When Jesus finished saying these things, meaning his sermon, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And the master teacher used allegories and similes and metaphors and all these uh, nuanced way of understanding the text. And he spoke in parables. And parables are just these stories, these simple stories to explain a truth about God. The Testament records uh, over 50 different parables. And many rabbis spoke in parables of the day, so this was not necessarily new. But the, the, the parables Jesus spoke were so interesting and intriguing that people are like, what in the world is he saying? Why are you telling us these parables? So Matthew 13, if you've got your Bibles, Jesus is explaining to them why he speaks in these parables. 
The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. For this is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing uh, they, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes they've become so shut off otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and i would heal them but blessed are you because you your because they your blessed are your eyes because they see in your ears because they hear jesus is saying you're open i speak in parables because you are open to hearing what i have to say so many people are closed to the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're open. Your ears, your eyes, your heart open to what I want to uh, share with you. And the things I want to share with you are about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And over and over, Jesus is teaching the people, not just in this passage, but in many passages, about when we know stuff about God through the teachings of Jesus, then we are actually growing in our relationship with God. Learning about God can actually be an act of worship. When we study and learn and educate ourselves about who God is. It helps us to be uh, in communion with God and connect with God. And so Jesus grew, uh, drew this, the, 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 these lines to connect two ideas. That to learn and to be educated about God is to know God. Another time, uh, somebody came up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And everybody knew what he was going to say. He was going to recite the Shema. From Deuteronomy 6.5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And they're all waiting for him to say in all your strength. But that's not what he says. He says in all your mind. And in that moment, everybody's heads turned. What is he talking about? He just misquoted Deuteronomy 6.5. And Jesus is like, no, I didn't. Your mind matters. Your brain matters. God has given you a mind, a brain, and he is inviting you to grow, to experience. And when you do, you can be in greater relationship with God. Learning is actually an act of worship. Another time, Jesus said to his disciples, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's probably the most misquoted Bible verse in all of Scripture. We hear this at commencements all over the country, maybe even all over the world, where people talk about when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But it's out of context. 
They forget the part where Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples. All truth does not set us free. Jesus is very clear, only the truth of Jesus. Jesus' teaching, understanding of truth, and Jesus' truth alone leads to freedom. This is what Jesus taught over and over throughout the scripture, is learn from me, listen to me, and when you do, you will experience and understand God's truth. And when you live and obey in that truth, you will experience freedom in your life. And if you're still not sure about this idea of learning and education, that after Jesus rose from the grave, he's looking at his disciples, he's giving them their charge to what they're supposed to do. This is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That was their command. Make disciples and teach. And so Jesus elevated this idea of learning, of teaching, of educating, of understanding and knowing God's word. And so this is what the early church did is they began gathering together and they would study God's word and teach one another and learn. This is the idea of where libraries came from. And there were many libraries in ancient times and, and oftentimes they would uh, get uh, put together in, in places like monasteries where they could be kept safe. And you can see, if you can see real close there, many of those books are on chains. I returned a book at the library yesterday, it was late. I was waiting for a thrashing from the librarian. She said, yeah, we don't do that anymore. But they had to put books on chains because otherwise people would take them because this is how valuable books were in the ancient times. And the focus of these teachings, it was always on Scripture. It was always focused on the teachings of Jesus. And then along the way, they would learn logic and reasoning and math and all sorts of other things. And when Christianity became legal in the fourth century, more and more of these communities began to rise up where people could gather together and learn about God's word. The cathedral school system uh, rose in 597. That was the first school that opened up, and it's still running today. This is the oldest school. This is in Canterbury, England. The oldest school, and it was... It was um, uh, came together because this group of Christians were so um, inspired by the words of Jesus to teach them to obey everything I have taught you. And so the cathedral school system, and this is really uh, kind of the, the system of K through 12 education. Hey, we're not, not just going to educate the, the, the people in, uh, the adults, the smart people, the people who are able, but let's educate everyone. Then in the 12th century, gave rise to the system of the universities. And the university system arose from the Christians. It rose from those people who are so committed to following God's word, to learning about who Jesus was. The first university in Western Europe is in, was in Paris. And then pretty soon Oxford came along. And then Cambridge. 
And I want to show you the crest here uh, for this is uh, at Oxford University. If you look at that word, first of all, the word university, it comes from the Latin universita, which we think of as universe or all or everything. So when you think about a university, if you've ever gone to a university, we don't just learn about God's word. But the early Christians said, we think that God made everything in the world. So everything in the world is worth learning about, even the universe. So this is why they studied at universities and gave rise to this whole system, because it was so important. And as you look at the crest of Harvard, you've got the, the, the three crowns, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the motto of Harvard University, uh, of Oxford University, comes from Psalm 27:2: the Lord is my light. And so when we look at the crest of Oxford, it tells us that these people were deeply spiritual. These people were deeply committed to the teachings of Jesus, and they thought it was so important. So after Paris, Oxford, Cambridge, there became universities all across Europe. All of them started by Christians, faithful, devoted people who wanted the people to understand what it meant to be in a relationship with God. And it all started with understanding and reading Scripture. When we get to the Middle Ages and the Reformation, Martin Luther recognized how important this was. This is the very reason why Luther translated the Bible from Latin, which people read in the day, but he translated it from the original Greek into the vernacular German. He thought reading the Bible was so important because the Bible had something to say to them. God's word spoke directly to the people. Prior to Luther, the only way you could know anything about the Christian faith was through the priest. The priest had to be the one to explain to you because you're all too dumb and Luther said, they're not too dumb. They actually can know stuff. And so we're going to make the Bible into the vernacular for them. And by the way, we're going to teach them how to read. So Martin Luther wasn't just a great theologian. He was a great educator. And he would sit around his table, his dining room table, and he spent a great deal of time teaching his kids and all who came around him to learn how to read and to write for the sole purpose of understanding God's word. And when they understood God's word, that would lay a foundation for their lives. So whether they became a lawyer, a doctor, or a, a, an educator, whatever they, a business person, whatever they became, they had that foundation of reading, of education, of understanding. You know, one of the interesting things, uh, just 100 years after the Protestant Reformation, that most people don't know about the founding of America, that just six years after the Puritans arrived in the Massachusetts wilderness, they said, okay, we've built some houses. We've, we've kind of built a, an area where we can live and do what we need to do. We need to build a university. Within six years, the Puritans thought it was so important because they were living by faith and their faith in Jesus Christ and how important it was for them. So they started this Bible college, the, the university in America, 1636, Harvard University, founded by deeply devout Christians. 
And again, I want you to look at this crest. If you go to Harvard today, by the way, Harvard is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge is the new Cambridge from the old Cambridge where John Harvard and his buddies came over as Puritans. There's a connection there. And that connection is so important because the folks at Cambridge were strong Christians. And now you begin to see this kind of this expansion of the education system by these devout, faithful Christians because they have been impacted by the gospel that they want everyone else to know. And so at Harvard University, the, the seal is veritas, which means truth. Harvard was based on truth, but these two words that I circled up there for you, I don't know if you can see them or not. Truth for Christ and truth for the church. Harvard University, the Moody Bible Institute of its day, was first and foremost based on truth for Christ and truth for the church. And I want to read something to you here. It's from the student handbook of Harvard, the first student handbook, because I think this is really interesting. This is a little nerdy, but uh, bear with me. This is in the uh, the the the. the that Harvard first got. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17, 3. Therefore, to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all found knowledge and learning and, feel, uh, and seeing the Lord only gives wisdom. Let everyone furiously let, uh, set himself by prayer and uh, secret to, to seek it of him. Proverbs 2.3. And I love this too. I think this should still be in our college handbooks. Everyone shall exercise himself in reading scriptures twice a day. What if your, your college student read scripture twice a day? That's what they were supposed to do at Harvard. And that he, and that, uh, he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein, both theoretical observations of the language and the logic and the practical and spiritual truths as his tutor shall require according to his ability. Feeling, uh, seeing the entrance of the word give a, gives light and it gives understanding to the people. Psalm 119. That's in the Harvard student manual. Do you hear how important scripture was? In the lives of these students, it was so important to them. Because when you knew stuff, when you had knowledge, when you had understanding, and it's based on God, you are free. And when you were free, you could live and serve in the world. So many people did. And it wasn't just Harvard that was founded by Christians. 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities in America were started by Christians, devout men and women who said, I love Jesus. I love his word. We need to start a new college or university. They were motivated in knowing God. That's how our whole college education system began. So here's the first nine universities in North America all of them founded by Christians, devout Christians, who are absolutely motivated that we need to teach people so that they can learn about God. Well, as a couple hundred years ago, of course, things have changed. But people continue to come and look to America, to the United States, and to these 
first institutions, these first universities as places. These became the centers and the places that inspired all the other colleges uh, to go out into the world and make new colleges and universities. Some of you, anybody go to ISU here in town? Okay, a couple of you. ISU has Christian roots to it. The current president, uh, Terry Goss Kinsey, she went to Case Western University. That's where she got her PhD. Case Western was founded by a guy by the name of Leonard Case, who grew up in a Christian school. So I don't know what Terry Goss Kinsey's religious, her view of scripture are, but she is president of ISU today because there were a group of Christians who said, we need to create a university. And it became Case Western. And before that, when she went to Yale. How about Illinois Wesleyan? Any Wesleyan? Yeah. Hello, Charles Wesley, John Wesley, right? Christian school. The president of Wesleyan University today, Georgia Nougat. Is that right? I went online and looked. She went to Princeton and Brown. Two schools that were founded by Christians. She would not be president of Illinois Wesleyan without the influence and the impact of the Christians who are so dedicated. And we can look at university, college after college across the United States. Nearly every one of them has been impacted by the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, a man who never wrote a book. A man who never started an institution, never started a college, never started a school. He just looked at a, a handful of guys and said, I want you to teach new people to be my disciples so that they learn and, obey and follow after me. So even if you don't believe in Jesus, you ought to be grateful that he came into the world and started our modern education system. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, how many of you went to college? You ought to be grateful to Jesus because you went to college. College would not exist without Jesus. Now, there might be some skeptics here. Any skeptics here? You, well, somebody would say, you might say, figured it out. Somebody else would have invented the college or university system. Anybody thinking that? Just me? Good question. But here's the deal. We've got thousands of years of human history before Jesus Christ. And no one decided to develop this idea of learning and educating and growing. He motivated and impacted people's lives in such a way they became overwhelmed and said, we have got to let other people know about who he is and it's not just, I've spent a lot of time kind of talking about the university system here this morning, just as kind of a case study. It's not just the university system or higher ed, if you will. It's also our elementary school, our K through 12 education system that we can thank Jesus for. You know, the, 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 the early Christians, when they came over about 10 years, the, the Puritans, back to the Puritans, they established the first mandatory education system in our country. Puritans! It wasn't the government, it was the Puritans. 
They said, we have got to educate our people. And so they brought a bill before the Massachusetts uh, legislature, whatever, whatever governing body was in that day. And this is what it was called, the Old Deluder Satan Act of 1642. Isn't that great? In Massachusetts. Think about that. They called it the Old Deluder Satan Act of 1642 because the Puritans understood that when what Satan's chief objective is to blind us, to help us to not understand, to close our eyes, to close our ears. That's the goal of Satan. He just wants to li let you live in a little bubble. He's a deluder. But when you know the freedom, when you know truth, you know freedom. And this is why they called it the old, and then this they made K through 12 education mandatory in Massachusetts school. So even if you never went to college, if you went to elementary school, if you learned how to read, you can thank Jesus. If you learned how to do simple arithmetic, you can thank Jesus because these things did not happen for the common people. Remember back to where we started? In Jesus' day, people didn't know this stuff, but now they do. And I would imagine most of us here today are educated, that we can send text messages, that we can do arithmetic, we can have complex thoughts and ideas, and this all gets back to And I believe that when Jesus came, he changed everything. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who has not left us on our own to figure it out, but the God you came into the world to teach us your truth. Not just any truth, all the truths of the world because you made it all. And so God, thank you that you are not just a, an esoteric out there ideas guy, but you are very practical and tangible and you love your people and you care about your people. Because of this, you have changed the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.